0: What's up, y'all? It's Citra, the Nigerian rap goddess. you yo, what's up? It's your man Ivan Ellis,
1: a.k.a. Royalty from the hit show Empire. Hi,
0: I'm Greg Jabara from Blue Bloods. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl Javon, a.k.a. Bubbles.
2: What's up? You're sitting here chilling with Ray Edwards, future heavyweight chap. Listen to Scoop B Radio.
0: Holler. Watch yeah. out. You're now listening to Scoopy Radio. Everybody please turn up the stereo. Tell a friend to tell a friend to let the family know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoop about to take the glow, man and yeah, about the blow? Yeah. 543, we on the air. I know they gon' love this one, I swear. He what you needed, what you wanna air. He's the man with the plan. Uh you need the scope, he got the scope, he got the trophy many out. We ring the bell, you know it's in the interviews they get pills to be radio. Everybody please turn up the stereo. Tell a friend to tell a friend and let the family really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scoop about to take the glow. Manny yeah, we're about to blow.
1: Yeah, man,
2: now At follow him B. At Scoop B. follow him.
1: Yes, Scoopy Scoop radio in your airwaves on the plane on the train. Everywhere you need to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter. Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B and make sure to subscribe to the Scoopy Radio Podcast, which is available on all podcasting networks, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or simply by visiting ScoopBradio.com. It's a blast in the past during our next week of podcasts and on the line right now was probably uh, one of the most beloved Nets uh, during his era with the New Jersey Nets. He plays with some other teams as well, but on the right, line right now is Kendall Gill. You can find him on NBC Sports uh, Chicago, where he's covering all the Bulls games with my main guy, uh, Jason Goff. Kendall, welcome to Scoop, B Radio. to Scoop
2: B Radio. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having
1: me. My man, how are you doing? How is your family doing right now with everything that is going on with the coronavirus? We're all
2: all doing well, you know, just staying in the house and, um,
1: you know, the only time we go outside
2: is like if we go to the grocery store or something like that. So, uh, we have plenty to keep us busy and, um, you know, during this unfortunate time, man, you know, you really want to be around family, which is, you know, what we've been doing. So it's uh, it's giving us opportunity to get closer and everything, but, uh, You know, hopefully this thing can be over with uh, soon, you know, because I know there's been a lot of lives lost, and especially back where you are in New York, you guys are sort of the epicenter of everything that's going on. You know, I watch on the news all the time how things are getting actually worse there instead of better. So hopefully it'll turn around for you guys soon.
1: The fifth pick uh, in the 1990 NBA draft uh, by way of the Charlotte Hornets, Kendall, I remember uh, you played for the Nest there in Jersey, but you lived in Manhattan. Right. What was that traffic like for practice in the morning? Well, actually, man,
2: you know, I, I actually um, lived closer than most of the players did who lived in Jersey. And I was able to get, because I lived on 43rd and 11th Avenue at that time for six years, and I was able to just jump right in the Lincoln Tunnel and get right over to East Rutherford, New Jersey. And and Back then, the 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 toll to to go in and out of the tunnel was four dollars.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
2: I understand, mm-hmm. you know, that's eight dollars each way. Now I understand what is it now? What twenty dollars now? Man, it's to like go, fifteen twenty dollars. You know, fifteen twenty dollars? Oh man, that's <laughs> that's absolutely crazy. So, um, but you know, I and I actually traveled during off peak hours too. So, transition
1: for me was was pretty easy. It wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal for me. When you look at the Nets, uh, this season, um, what do you think about the Nets adding Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? And do you see there being a transitional period next season once those two guys finally get settled in and play?
2: Uh, yeah, I see it being a, a transitional season because, you know, you look at Kyrie has to have the ball to be effective. You look at, uh Kevin Durant I don't think he necessarily has to have the basketball to be effective but when he does have it he is effective so it's going to take those two a little while to learn how to play off of each other you know much like Harden and Westbrook did in Houston this year Um, you know when you have two ball dominant guys it takes a little while for those, those guys to really learn the, the pecking order but you know I would still say that Kevin Durant is the the number one guy and then Kyrie Falls
1: behind him. The NBA's Steel's leader in 1999, Kendall mm-hmm. Bill Jones is on Scooby Radio. Radio. Kendall, when you look at uh, just the season overall, uh, I had this conversation with Kenny Anderson recently. Uh, mm-hmm. The coronavirus stopping the season, the only thing I can think of is the lockout in the 90s uh, yeah. where there's a stoppage where guys are not necessarily in rhythm every day. Their diets may be different. How did you get through that during the lockout when you played? Well,
2: here's the thing that's, that's what's different in during the lockout and now during the coronavirus epidemic. The During the lockout, we still had an opportunity to go to a gym and work out. Uh-huh. And now, there are no gyms open. Uh, there's no practice facilities open. Um, so unless you're one of those guys that has a, a gym in their house, then, you know, you're not getting any basketball work in. So your your skills are somewhat being diminished while you're sitting in the house. You you probably have an opportunity to work out because most guys have equipment in their house. And uh, here in Chicago, we do have the opportunity to go outside and, and run if you want to, as long as you keep a, a, a good distance away from everybody. Uh, but that's pretty much, you know, all you can do with the guys that are dealing with this epidemic right now. Back then, I mean, we could go to the gym, we could shoot, we could do whatever we wanted to and, and still work on our basketball skills. But, you know, right now, that's why, you know, hopefully this will get everything in order where we can resume the season. However, I don't think it's going to be that way. I think that the I think that the, the season is going to be canceled, unfortunately, because I just don't see... You know, how now you can bring the players back. You you probably will have to have a, a one to two week training camp in order to get everybody reacclimated uh, to what they were uh, about six weeks ago when all this stuff happened. And, you know, it, it's just going to be tough to do, um, you know, and it's just the unfortunate circumstance that we're in.
1: You led the Nets uh, to the 98 playoffs. Uh, that was the year you led uh, the team in assists. Mm-hmm. And I remember that team, for those who are listening, you, John Calipari was the head coach. You had Sam Cassell, Gary Kittle, Keith Van Horn, Jason Williams, Sherman Douglas, Chris Gatling, mm-hmm. all those guys on the team. And you played the Chicago Bulls in the first round. Mm-hmm. Was it a surreal experience when you had to go, to, you being from the Chicago area, having to go to the field with Michael Jordan? No, no, it wasn't surreal for me because
2: see the thing the thing with me I I didn't suffer from the Mike Tyson stuff you know <laughs> and you remember how Mike Tyson used to have his opponents beat before they got to the to the stadium mm-hmm. Mike Michael and Scotty and all those guys they they had a lot of those guys beat before they even walked into United Center okay I wasn't one of those guys so um, I relished playing against them and um, you know it it was a good playoff experience you could tell. The difference in them in between in the regular season and playoffs because they were a whole lot more intense than they were during the regular season, especially in Game Two because we we I believe we went into overtime in Game One in that series and they just did not want to give us any hope at all. So they came out really tough in Game Two. However, we still played well in Game Two. You know, unfortunately, you know we we, we got swept. I think through 0-3 in that series. But, you know, it was a good experience. You know, I, I liked playing against the world champions. But, you know, it
1: wasn't wasn't surreal for me, no. The Michael Jordan, or excuse me, the Chicago Bulls documentary begins on ESPN uh, pretty soon. Um, and it was the 98 season uh, mm-hmm. that they chronicled. Uh, in your mind, uh, guarding guys like Scotty, Scott Burrell, uh, Michael in 98, uh, what was the difference in that t- that championship team in '98 versus the '72 and '10 season Bulls uh, back then? Were there differences between those two teams from your from your vantage point? Uh,
2: I, I didn't think that there were too many differences. I, I think that they were basically the same team. Um, the thing was, though, they knew that uh, this was the last. I believe that was the last uh, ch- time they were going to be together. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a bit more seriousness because you know the writing was on the wall. Bill Jackson was not going to come back unless I uh, believe me, he was running things. Uh, Jerry Krause I believe wanted to start over and go into another direction. What reason I still don't know why you would want to break up a dynasty, mm-hmm. but uh, I think the seriousness of the moment was different because they knew All right, this is the last time we're going to do this and this is the end of an era.
1: And they were were right. You almost became a Los Angeles Laker. Yeah. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, the Nets didn't offer you what you wanted and you were going to take your talents to Los Angeles and you ended up coming back. Uh, Were you hurt that you weren't getting what you were seeking? And what was your mindset when you had the opportunity to lace them up with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal? Well, I, I wanted
2: to be a Laker and actually I regret the decision that I made I had I had to do it all over again I would have been I would choose going to the Los Angeles Lakers there's, there's a reason because one I would have won championships multiple championships and two you're looked upon differently after you after your playing days as a champion as opposed to somebody that has not won one I had a great time in New Jersey um you know, made a, was was were friends with the organization, uh, was able to live in New York City and, and, and form lifelong uh friendships. But <clears throat> you know, it would have been different had I chosen the Los Angeles Lakers. And, you know, <clears throat> the Los Angeles Lakers offered me a, a two year deal for five and a half million dollars. Okay. So at the last minute the New Jersey Nets came in and Gave me a deal for seven million dollars for one season. Now at the time, I was like, I, I got to make a business decision. Business decision is you take a burden to him rather than two in the bush, because mm-hmm. the Los Angeles Lakers told me, "Listen, we'll take care of you after this contract is over." But you know, sometimes teams change their mind. You never know. Mm-hmm. You know, so I took, I made the business decision, and I took the money. Um, and you know, <clears throat> it was, it was a good business decision, but legacy wise, I should have chosen the Los Angeles legacy because I had already, I had already done what I needed to do in New Jersey, you know, I, and in the season after, when I came back that season, I ended up hurting my knee and I was out for the whole season anyway. So, um, like I said, dude, that, that would have been something else if I could have teamed up with Kobe and Shaq.
1: You have the jurisdiction to speak to this. You played mm-hmm. with Larry Johnson in Charlotte.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you played with Sean Kemp in Seattle. You played against Charles Barkley.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, spoke, I spoke to Charles and at the beginning of the season, and I said to him, listen, Zion Williamson reminds me of you. He says no. He says Sean Kemp. Other people say Sean Kemp. Some people have said Larry Johnson. Who does Zion Williamson play like to you?
2: Uh, he doesn't play like any one of those guys, but he has the same body type, characteristically, of Larry Johnson being six seven. Um, now, he's about thirty five pounds heavier than Larry was, and you know Larry was an extraordinary athlete. Okay, but Zion is uh, a <laughs> once in a lifetime athlete. The way that he can jump and everything. Um, I think that once Zion develops, he's going to be, you're not going to be able to compare him to anybody, you know, and hopefully, and I believe hopefully he'll lose some weight. I think he needs to lose about 25, 30 pounds so that he's not susceptible to injury, the way that he plays jumping up crazy and how explosive he is. But I think he's going to be his own man. You know, uh, you know, Larry Johnson, who's the best player I've ever played with. Um, but pre-back injury, if he had not hurt his back, I think he would have gone down as one of the greatest power forwards of all time. Um, I think Zion can get there if he stays healthy. When was the first time that you saw Derrick Rose play basketball? Oh, when he was at Beasley Elementary School. When he was in eighth grade, I saw him. <laughs> you know, and he was – you could tell then that he was going to be something special. Radio. You know, and then Derek is, is my favorite player in the NBA right now. Um, I think that, you know, he got a raw deal from a lot of, uh, media, um, also fans here in Chicago when, when, when he left, uh, he didn't ask to leave, he wanted to be a Chicago Bull for life. And, you know, then he goes on this journey to the New York Knicks and, you know, I don't understand why things don't, didn't work out for him there. He only averaged 18.3 points a game for the Knicks being the third option. And everybody says that he's done. I, I, don't, I didn't understand that and then he goes to Cleveland and has to play a backup role to a guy who's the de facto point guard in LeBron James. I mean, he, I mean, how can Derek really exploit his talents if he's not playing this position? Then he gets traded to Utah. they waive him. He's at Cleveland State shooting around. I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. This is a former MVP, man. You mean to tell me that this guy, just a season removed from averaging 18.3 points a game, can't play? I don't understand what's wrong with the general manager in this league, but thanks for Tom Thibodeau, who was at Minnesota at the time, for for picking him up and giving him a chance. And guess what? Derrick ends up being the best player on that team in the playoffs mm-hmm. against the Houston Rockets. So, you know, the the... the Things that they say about Derek's career being dead, I knew they were untrue the whole time. And every time I got a chance to voice my opinion, whether it be on TV here in Chicago, on the radio, I voiced my opinion. And I thought that the Bulls should have re signed Derek this year instead. Derek was up in Detroit. If Detroit is five, playing 500, Derek Rose makes the all-star team. Just imagine what he would be here in Chicago teaming up with Zach Levine. Can you imagine that backcourt? I mean, pick your poison with
1: that one. Yeah. I mean, and you you, bring, you segue perfectly. That's how I know you're a TV guy. Chicago Bulls, uh, Zach Levine didn't make the All-Star team, but he was playing lights out. Yeah. Uh, what do you make? The, the Bulls are needing a second, an option. You know, you've got guys that has been injuries throughout the course of the season. Um, you know, Kobe White's been in and out, but has been playing well uh, throughout the course of the season. He's been a leader amongst the rookies. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the Bulls this season thus far? Injuries, injuries really,
2: really, really set them back. Um, you know, Laurie marketing out. Then you have Otto Porter, who who I believe was key this season, goes out with a foot injury. And then you have Laurie marketing out. And, um, you know, then you have Chris Dunn goes out, who's their best defensive player. Um, So they were never able to get everybody together at one time. And that really hurt them. And, you know, I felt like they were, right before the NBA suspended the season, I felt like they were starting to get into a rhythm where we could probably see what the Bulls have for the future. But unfortunately, we weren't able to see it because of the uh, suspension of the
1: season. Kendall, when you played for the Nets, as a kid, maybe I saw it differently. But I felt as though when John Calipari was the head coach of the Nets, um, he definitely had a love-hate relationship with Sam Cassell. He got along with Keith Van Horn. What was the disconnect with Calipari and that Nets organization, particularly <laughs> with the players? Uh, I think
2: it's because listen, Cal is a great coach. Scoop okay, he radio. knows the game. He know I mean, he he, he helped. Me. I mean, I had my best years as a pro under Cal. You know because of some of the things that that he showed me on the defensive end, and he let me go offensively. He didn't keep me chained up. But the one thing that Cal did when he was a professional coach is he thought he was still back at UMass, Mm. you know, as far as yelling at the players. You got to realize these guys are grown men. They have families. They have wives. You cannot treat them like they're college kids. And I understand – the enthusiasm you have to have for the, for the sport and the enthusiasm you have to have for, for playing basketball at, at a high level. But you, you have to temper it down some. You can't be yelling all the time on the sidelines. You can't be yelling at your players. And sometimes Cal had, had made the mistake of stepping into that. And you cannot do that. And I think that that's where it disconnect Uh, came.
1: How, how did you think that? When I look at the Nets, I mean, for years in New Jersey, they were, you know, people made fun of them. They called them the Nets' little brother, or oh, excuse me, yeah. the Knicks' little brother. They were in New Jersey. Um, I remember at one point before the Nets Championship Center, the practice center was built, they were practicing in the caucus. They were practicing in Hoboken. Yeah, like, they trucked it up. <laughs> did you practice there? Uh, I practiced there a couple times, yeah. <laughs> what was
2: that building like? It was horrible. It was horrible, man. It was just a gym at a truck stop. And, uh, you know, no showers, no locker rooms, none of that. You just came in with your stuff and, and your practice and, you know, that was it. And
1: you went back home and showered. <laughs> when you looked at the Nets with Jason Kidd, Terry Kiddles, Keith Van Horn, do you believe that '97 that, that team you played on from 97 to 99, do you think that Right before you left, the state and then the metropolitan area began to take you guys more seriously. What was the turning point? Um, I
2: think the turning point was when uh we went to the playoffs and played the Bulls. That was the turning point Um, because that let the fans and that put everybody on notice that this team could possibly be for real. They had the pieces to the puzzle, uh, some core guys that now we can look for in the future to to take us back to the playoffs. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I I left, but then, you know, that year I left, they got Jason Kidd and, you know, um, Kenyon Martin was healthy, Kerry, um, Keith Van Horn started to mature and they were able to go to the finals. Did they go to, I believe they went to the
1: finals two times in a row? 2002 and 2003. Yeah, they
2: they did. So, I mean, the turning point happened way before that. It just, everything came together at that point once they got Jason.
1: You said that you regretted the fact that you didn't sign with the Lakers or that you didn't go to LA with the Lakers. Was there ever a regret when you watched the Nets in the finals that you wish you played on that team also? <clears throat> no. No. Okay. I was I, I was I was I was done with the Nets by. Right you know, I mean
2: not not in a negative way, but right. you know, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, I just didn't it was time for me to move on. You know, they had brought in new guys and, and you know, Carrie and and uh Keith Van Horn were and then Kenyon Martin were the centerpieces of the organization. So it was time for me to go. And um, you know, that's why I wish I had been with the with the Lakers, a team that really, really wanted me. Um and, you know, unfortunately I didn't make the
1: I didn't make the right call on that decision. Last question. Kobe Bryant uh passed away in January, helicopter accident. He and his daughter and his seven other passengers Um, You and I in the past have talked about uh, the line of demarcation between Kobe and and, and Michael. I believe you told me some years ago that the difference between Michael's game and Kobe's game was maybe Kobe was a better three-point shooter than Michael. So you've had the opportunity to not just play against Kobe, uh, not play against Michael. You've also uh, played against LeBron, uh, early LeBron when he was in Cleveland. Right. Many people make these comparisons to Michael, Kobe, and um, LeBron, and Kyle Kuzma told me, why don't you just enjoy, you know, people should just enjoy their greatness because these are once-in-a-lifetime players. Fans do it regardless. That's just part of the game. Um, I guess from your perspective, playing against all three, uh, where do you draw the line between uh, their skill set, their greatness, and all of that other stuff that people like to talk about? Well,
2: you got to you got to understand that Kobe patterned a lot of his game from Michael. I mean, even from the way he talked in his early days. Mm-hmm. Okay? And Kobe refined his skills just like Michael's. Um, you know, they both had a post-up game. Um, both had an outside game. Both could take you off the dribble. Both mastered the triple threat position, which was key in their game. But the one thing about Kobe is that Kobe, if you really look at him physically, he's not really, doesn't blow you away. He's talented, but he's not that talented. He was fast, but he wasn't that fast. He was quick, but he wasn't that quick. The one thing about Kobe is that he worked harder than everybody else. If you go back on, you can YouTube it on The mind of Kobe Bryant. And you can get inside this kid's mind. He was so intelligent about what he was doing about what, about the game. Now Kobe had to work his butt off 24-7 to do what he did, to even get close to Michael. Now, Michael worked hard, but he didn't have to work hard like Kobe to be him. And that's the difference. You see what I mean?
0: Michael was just
2: Michael is just Michael. Yeah. Kobe, Kobe had to work crazy to even get close to him. Okay. Michael, in my opinion, much better, and this is for me playing against him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Much better athlete than Kobe. Faster than Kobe. Stronger than Kobe. Um, quicker than Kobe. And, I'd say that Kobe had a little bit more skills than Michael. But Michael didn't really need them. I mean, he he, he mastered everything he needed to master. Kobe had a few more moves. I mean, and it isn't me going against them one-on-one. Kobe mm-hmm. had a few more moves, okay? Now, let's talk about LeBron. LeBron is just a physical freak of nature. Six, eight and a half, two hundred sixty 260 pounds, and jump out. In my opinion, LeBron is the greatest athlete to ever play in NBA. Mm-hmm. But, skill-wise, he is not on the level of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And I know he's a, I know he's a three-time champion. I know he's, he's if he can, well, I mean, if he continues to go the way he's going, he may even be the all-time scoring leader in the league. However, he, he's not on that level with those guys as far as skills. And that's why I have to put it, if, if, if this is me, I'm going to go Michael Scoop B Kobe, LeBron. That's how I that's how I put him.
1: See, in my mind, I didn't de- I didn't play, but I defer to you. Uh, so just observing, I feel as though you put LeBron in those Magic Johnson, Oscar Robertson playmaker conversations. Yes. I think he yes. a stronger he's a he's a stronger Magic Johnson with a better jumper.
2: I agree. And, 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 and can jump, jump a lot higher than Magic. So I, I think that's where you need to, you shouldn't, they shouldn't even compare LeBron to Michael and, and Kobe. They're just different players. And I totally agree with you. You should put them, him in the Magic Johnson Oscar, uh, Robertson conversation. Kendall Gill, here's the good news. You're off the hot seat, sir. Hey, thank you very much for having me,
1: man. Brother, thank you. Be safe out there.